And you may be seated. You sit, I'll stand. We'll get into the word together. Uh, as Gabrielle shared, Mark chapter six, verse one through six. And if you're new here today, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark in a series called Jesus is King, looking at how the kingdom of God is breaking into our world through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we are continuing that uh, in the sixth chapter. And I'm just gonna start reading. Uh, I'll just read the whole passage and then we'll circle back around and break it down. I'll explain it, preach it, and we'll respond to what the Spirit is saying to us and the church. Here's what Mark says, starting in verse six. It says, Jesus went away from there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were astonished saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simeon? Are not his sisters like right here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and he healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went out among the villages teaching. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, if you were not here last week or the prior three weeks, we kind of have been in a, a month long of Jesus doing extraordinary works all over the countryside of Galilee. Uh, he cast out a legion of demons out of, a, out of a broken man. Right after that, he was on his way to heal a sick girl, and he got sidetracked by a woman with an issue of blood that she had for 12 years, healed her on the spot when she touched the fringe of his clothing. As he went to the girl's house, because of that delay, she died, but he just rose her from the dead, just resurrected her from the dead. He's been doing all of this stuff, and as he's doing it, teaching powerful, authoritative things about the kingdom of God. And now he's circling back around to go back home, where he grew up, Nazareth. And he brings his disciples with him. After several back-to-back -back miracles, he returns home, and he begins to do some things that they were not expecting. He begins to do what we might call a new thing. A new thing that they don't expect. I uh, just want to read the first couple verses for you again. It says, he went away from there, the place that he used to be doing all of these miracles, came back to his hometown with his disciples, and on the Sabbath, he immediately begins to teach in the synagogue, as was the custom of a, a, a 30 or older year old male in Jewish culture. They'd, be, they'd teach in the synagogue on the Sabbath. But many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did he get these things? Read into that, where did he get educated? We've seen this guy grow up. We know he didn't go to seminary. What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by their hands? There's a sense of astonishment, like, wow, who is this guy? And you have to, see, you have to get the sense that this, this astonishment came from the fact that they had never seen something like this before. God was doing a new thing in their midst. And what was new? Well, you can look at two things. 
they say, what is the wisdom given to him in the moment, right? He must have been teaching with such power that it astonished them. In fact, earlier in Mark chapter 1, verse 22, when Jesus spoke in the synagogues, people were blown away. It says, they were astonished as, at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, who had real power, and not like the scribes, which they were used to. This guy came along and he was unpacking the goodness of the kingdom of God in such profound ways. They were, they were not only astonished, but they'd never heard something like this before. They also go on to say, how are such mighty works done by his hands? He's putting on a display. He's bragging about the kingdom, but he's not just bragging with his teaching. He's bragging with his action. He's healing the sick. He's casting out demons. He's doing things that they've never seen done before. Often this comes as quite of a shock in a, in a really small way. As a small analogy, this week, uh, I asked my kids to clean the living room, which is nothing short of a miracle when it happens. And I remember one of my kids lying on the couch like this, and just kind of lounging. It was like, okay, it's time to clean the room. Mom's almost home. And you know how she loves a clean living room. So let's get to it. One of my kids just kind of starts doing the sprawl on the couch. The other one, Jude, <laughs> immediately starts picking up his trucks, picking up little tinker toys, putting them away. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. But I give no, I, I give no mind to the situation at hand. And I turn to, the, <laughs> to my other kid, Abby, and I'm like, hey, what are you doing? You got to help me. And I turn around and Jude's gone. I'm like, where did he go? I find him in his room, and he's in his room reorganizing the shoe drawer. He had already cleaned everything on the floor, putting everything nicely and neatly into compartmentalized sections under his bed, and now he's reorganizing the shoe drawer. I have never seen this happen before in my life, and so I pull out my camera to film it to show mom as I ask him, what are you doing? And he says to me, I'm cleaning my room. I'm all, why? Besides that I, I asked him like 30 minutes ago. And he says, because I love mommy and she likes a clean house. And I'm like, I, I was so blown away. I know this doesn't sound like anything to you, but I was so blown away because this is the messiest person in my house. He's a whirlwind of fun and adventure. I never see him clean stuff. And not only is he cleaning, but he went through the entire bedroom and the entire living room, putting everything away, even Abby's stuff. It was unbelievable. I've never seen this before. And the first thing I did was I told my wife about it. I'm like, ah, you gotta see this. Look at this video. Junior this, he cleaned. Oh my gosh. She's like, yeah, right. I don't believe everyone. Oh my God, really? And we're just tripping out. This is on a thousand degree higher level, probably what's happening in the middle of Nazareth. People have seen teachings before. People have been to the synagogue. They've seen this kind of stuff. They've seen traveling rabbis. They've seen local rabbis. No one's ever seen this before. If you wanna grab something, if you wanna take away something from the Gospel of Mark about the kingdom of God, it's that the kingdom often breaks into the world doing things that have never been done before. And this is Jesus' entire mission, to bring the kingdom. When the kingdom of God breaks into our world, we should expect to see and hear things 
that have never been done before. Things that are difficult to explain. Now, I'm not talking about magic or crazy antics or stunts. I do mean we should be astonished. God's kingdom is really just God's reign coming to bear on our disrepair. And so when Jesus is on the scene, we should see things of disrepair being put back together. We should see restoration. We should see healing. We should see relational wholeness. We'll see joy in the midst of pain where that makes no, no sense whatsoever. We'll see people laughing when maybe they should be incredibly discouraged. We'll see restorative justice. We'll see shalom in the far reaches of society. We'll see things being put together. And things we might expect to hear from people as this happens, maybe your friends, maybe your family, is where did you get that? Why is your life this way? What did you do to get it? And how is this possible? In fact, I, I hear this about you sometimes. I hear this a lot about relationships. I hear lots of testimonies about people in our church whose neighbors or coworkers or families are shocked when they experience in that relationship something different. That's what I'm talking about. We should see something different. The point of this, these first couple verses, I think, is that the kingdom of God tends to bring fresh life to worn out places. I want you to just put yourself in the shoes of the average Palestinian or Israeli in the first century in synagogue that day who has heard many different sermons, many different expositions of the Old Testament, some of them maybe trite, some of them maybe old patterns, and all of a sudden, another guy gets up there and begins to speak as though it came alive. The kingdom of God does that. It brings fresh life to worn out places. Fresh means to be full of energy and vigor. It refers to something not previously known or used. It refers to something new or different. And what we see in the in the life of the disciples and everyone around Jesus is that anyone who starts walking with Jesus, their quality of life tends to take on a freshness to it. And over time, you might find that people begin to ask, whoa, 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 what's up? What is that about you? What's different about them? Why do you do things that way? Why aren't you so distraught? Why aren't you as anxious as I am? Why were you so nice to that person? Why are you so patient? Why do you work so hard? And on and on and on. I love this passage by 1 Peter chapter th- uh, in chapter 3 where he says, Worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope, As a believer, always be ready to explain it, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. It's as if he's assuming if you follow Jesus for a long enough period of time, your life's gonna change and people aren't going to be able to explain it. So you're gonna have to explain it to them. 
This is a beautiful thing. I think God wants to do some new stuff, some fresh things in some of our lives. Collectively as a church, but also individually. I think he's moving things around and he's doing a fresh work in your life. I think with anything that's new, with anything that's fresh, also comes an accompanying problem. Sometimes we have an inclination to resist things that are new or fresh. With every new thing comes what we might call an old box, okay? An old box. It's an old adage you might have heard before. Don't put God in a box or don't put me in a box. Don't label me. It usually means don't control me with your preset expectations. And we do that. We do that with each other. We do it with God, too. And so is Jesus' family and friends from Nazareth. Look at verse 3 through 4. Their response, after they're initially astonished, isn't, wow, Jesus is amazing. Let's follow him. It's, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this the son of Mary? Like, she lives, like, on, you know, the 300 block in Galilee. Like, we, we see her all the, all the time on our way to the grocery store. Isn't his brother James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Didn't we used to pick on them in high school? Like, we know this guy. Aren't his sisters, like, right here with us? And it says, and they took offense at him. And Jesus' response would be to say, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own household. So Jesus throws a little jab. He's like, Typically speaking, prophets are very popular. They just tend to not be popular in their hometown where they came from. And this is exactly what's happening here. The people who had seen Jesus grow up for approximately 30 years. Think about that. Off the top of my head, I would actually think that would be incredible. Grow up with childhood Jesus until he becomes an adult? That would be awesome. Like if Jesus just grew up in Santa Barbara, went to DP and you knew him, and then all of a sudden he came out with John the Baptist who was like, hey, by the way, this guy's the Messiah. You're like, sick. Okay, we went to school together. I'm gonna call him up and learn everything I can from him. Yet it's the opposite. This is where he grew up. He didn't move from there for three decades. It's not like, like there was no moving out of town to go to Cal Poly when you're like 18, okay? There's no taking a semester abroad to go find yourself or any of that. Like he, was, he lived in one place for 30 years. It was more like Carpinteria. Like you stay in one small town, you're there for a long time, and everybody knows you. And off the top of, off the top of my head, I'd assume like that'd be really cool. But it has the opposite effect. They knew more about Jesus in ways they could probably write a book about. Unfortunately, here's three things I want to pull out of this text. It seems possible to know Jesus only superficially, no matter how long you know him. You can know him for 30 years, but only have a superficial understanding of who Jesus is. And this is, that was their understanding. All he was to them was a carpenter and the son of Mary. He's just the guy who makes tables. He can't possibly be an academic teacher. Uh, he's the son of Mary. Pro uh, possibly referencing Mary as a widow. We haven't heard of Joseph since the third chapter. So they're like, dude, this is the carpenter from downtown. He's Mary's kid. And all of those things are true and good. Jesus 
was and is human, and yet he's also, he's also more. And yet after decades of being around Jesus, they never got to know him or his purpose or his mission beyond that he was just the neighborhood kid. This was my story. I grew up in the church, and since I was a young kid, I had heard many things about Jesus. But it wasn't until 2006 when I was reluctantly dragged to a church in Carpinteria, meeting in a warehouse called Reality Carpinteria, that the Spirit of God fell upon me and my eyes were opened and I was like, oh, you're Jesus. You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. It's possible to know Jesus only superficially. Here's something else we can gather from this passage. If you only know Jesus superficially, you can begin to develop categories around Jesus. Categories we often refer to as boxes, right? Putting someone in a box, something for Jesus to, to fit in. In other words, it's when we get familiar enough with Jesus, we learn a few things about what he does, things that we like, we're comfortable with, and then we say or we assume, this is what God does in my life and nothing else. I don't want any surprises. I don't want to shock. I just expect you, God, to do this, this, and this, whatever that might be. Answer my prayers, give me stuff, and keep me safe, okay? Or whatever that is maybe for you. And the danger with this is we never let him grow into what he was, they never let him grow into what he was supposed to be. More than a carpenter, a Messiah who would usher in the kingdom of God, defeat the devil, forgive our sins, make us whole and right. My question here today is, has this ever happened to you? Not just in the way that we think of Jesus and categorize Jesus, but what Jesus is doing in your life. I think God is doing some new things in some of your lives. And yet, do you ever feel like, wow, old friends keep wanting to pull me back into old habits? Whenever I go back to my Nazareth, it gets hard. Or when you go back to your family of origin, you find yourself taking on the role and habits that you had as a teenager. You're like, dude, I'm 45. Why do I, when I go back at Thanksgiving, I fall back into the same patterns that I had when I was a teenager? Or people from years ago that you used to walk with, that you used to roll with, that never let you live down that huge mistake that you made. Jesus is changing you. He's doing something fresh and new in your life. But every time you go back to what you knew before, hometown, you feel that pull. You feel those old scripts. This happens to us, and we do that to other people as well. We also do it to Jesus on occasion. It's possible to only know Jesus superficially. When that happens, we develop categories around Jesus. And lastly, categories lead to offense when those categories get broken. Listen, Jesus is going to break some of your categories. He's going to He's going to upset some of your expectations because he loves you too much to let you sit in a life that you've created for yourself. He's got something better for you. But what that's going to entail is that he disappoints you. And he's going to disappoint you for something better than you had planned for yourself. 
But if you're so invested in those categories and expectations, you might feel a little bit of an offense. You might feel a reaction in your body when things don't go your way, when God is doing something new and we become used to the old thing. Sometimes we grow so familiar with what we've come to expect from God that we don't even recognize that he's doing something new when it comes. You know how many times this last year something has happened and I was like, oh, this is terrible. 2020, part of 2021, can we agree, has been full of a lot of terrible things. And yet I can't help but wonder, how many of those things did I think was terrible? It was really just God upsetting some of my pre-existing categories. Oh no, no building! What are we going to do? We can't do things the way that we used to. What are we going to do? I have to preach at an evening service. This is terrible. And on and on and on. Do you have a list of things like that? I just wonder sometimes. How many things we think are a disappointment that's really God moving and shifting and working in our lives? When he went to work outside of their box, the Nazarenes, they got offended. They wouldn't be the first group of people to get offended by that. One person to come to mind is Judas Iscariot. That dude walked with Jesus for three years. And I have to imagine that he started following Jesus because he had some preset expectations of what Jesus was going to do for him. But he didn't fit those. Little by little, Judas started to fall away. Now, before we judge the Judases or the Nazarenes, I think we just have to take a deep, hard look inside. I have to take a deep, hard look inside and and face the truth that I do this too. I often latch on to things about Jesus or God that I'm intrigued by. Things in the church that I'm used to, that I'm comfortable with. Things, the ways that we've always done things, so to speak. And then I create categories around those things in order to control the situation. And if we're following along this text, it seems like this is a natural way to respond to new things, we find that it ultimately creates a bottleneck. This is my last point. When God wants to do a new thing, and we, create old, we latch onto old boxes, it creates a bottleneck. Listen to verse five through six. It says, Jesus could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hand on a few sick people and healed them. I, I love that. Second half of the sentence. It's like nobody believed in him and he couldn't do anything except heal like a half a dozen people. You know, it's amazing. Like what Jesus can do in the midst of unbelief is often more than what a lot of people can do when things are going their way. It's incredible. I love this man. But it does say he marveled because of their unbelief, entailing that he could have done so much more. And he went among the villages, continuing to teach. Here's, here's what I want to land on. When, when God wants to do something fresh, our boxes can lead to offense, which leads to unbelief, which creates a bottleneck. And here's what I want you to see about unbelief. Unbelief distances us from the work of God. 
And it's not, like we, it's not like we wake up one Sunday morning and we're like, I don't believe in you, God. It's a slow roll, right? We get used to the way life is supposed to be. We've been going to church for 10 years. We've been following Jesus for three years. We've read some books. We've gone to a home group. All of a sudden, we have like seven categories, and those seven categories are pretty awesome. I go to home group on Wednesday night. We eat some food. We talk about a sermon. Then I go to church on Sunday. We sing a song. We do this, and it's great. But when the Holy Spirit falls upon a group of people and starts to disrupt things that they're clinging to, exposing idols, changing the course of people's life, healing things that were broken, calling people to the mat, inviting believers to give up things that they used to cling to, that's when it starts getting messy, right? And the bottleneck of unbelief hinders the flow through a lack of trust. We don't just wake up Sunday just not believing God. Notice for this group, it just started with a superficial relationship with Jesus. They just never knew him deeply enough. They developed expectations, and expectations aren't bad unless they aren't true, and theirs weren't true. And what I want to do this morning is to allow the Holy Spirit to help us examine our expectations to see if we're turning any of them into boxes. I love the psalm, Psalm 139. At the end of Psalm 139, David, who knew, knew God pretty well, still asks of the Lord, examine me. Examine my heart, O God, and see if there's anything in the way and lead me in the way of everlasting life. There's gonna be times in your life, there's gonna be times in our generation, in your generation, in society, in our community, in our city, where God wants to shatter the box of our expectations in order to bring about something fresh and new. He's always been doing that. The prophet Isaiah said, see, quoting God, God says, see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? This is God's invitation to us. I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? Do you, do you not see it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Anyone in here who's tasted of a wasteland, can you say amen? I'm looking for a stream. I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Do you not see it? Do you not taste it? Do you not perceive it? You see, freshness usually means that Jesus has to disrupt something you've grown comfortable with. And that's where it gets painful. That's also, brothers and sisters, where it gets so good. Listen, my friends, I don't want to live the rest of my life just in a place of spiritual comfort. I don't want my spirituality to just look like what it's always looked like. I want more. Do you want more? But that's where the scary part lies in, right? 
The moment we begin asking God, I want more from you, is the moment he says, all right, step aside. I'm gonna start pounding stuff out of the way. Is this not what he said like two chapters ago in Mark chapter two? No one sews a piece of untrunk cloth on an old garment, to use his analogy. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. If it does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed. So are the skins. But new wine is required from fresh wineskins. He's using an analogy that everyone in that world at that day would have understand. He's saying, you never put fresh wine into old caskets. If you want to drink that new wine, you need fresh wineskins. And he's making an unequivocal statement to the people of that day and to people in Santa Barbara right now. I've come not only to bring fresh wine, but I've come to bring fresh wineskins. I've come to bring a new way of doing things and the Holy Spirit to empower you to do them. But it's gonna require that you let loose of the old. And that's hard, right? Here's what I want us to reflect on this morning. Are we okay with being comfortable? Is the status quo really all that we want? Maybe for some of us it is. And if that's you, you don't gotta lie about it. Just ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, open my heart. I want more. Do we know what to expect already? Have we created boxes around God or around each other or around ourselves? And are we closed off to anything that doesn't fit our pre-existing paradigm, our expectations. This might be a good thing to bring to the Lord as we worship. I'm gonna ask friend Dominic to continue leading us through worship, but before we do, I actually wanna, I wanna reflect on that now. I wanna do it in this particular way. Let's just take a moment of silence together and whatever, if you want, you can, Make yourself comfortable, close your eyes. And I want to lead you through a practice because it's, it's hard to say, God, what am, what am I hanging on to? Maybe you don't know. <laughs> Perhaps an easier question would be to ask God, Lord, what have I been reacting to? And I want to lead you through a practice to help you find that so that we can be healed. Close your eyes with me. Take a deep breath as we intentionally place ourselves in the presence of God. And what I'm gonna ask you to do for the next minute is to take a spiritual inventory. And here's what I want you to take an inventory of. I want you in your mind to write down a list of the defense mechanisms you might be attached to. What I mean by that are those, those physical triggers like sarcasm, could be temper tantrums, aloofness, it could be clowning around, it could be when you get passive aggressive or you give people the silent treatment, whatever it is, it's that thing that just arises in you when things don't go your way. I want you to think on those defense mechanisms and I want you to just, without guilt or shame, just hold them before God. Ask God to make you aware of the times that you 
instinctively move into your defense mechanism. Now, without guilt or shame, I want you to consider what seems to trigger those responses. What is it that happens? What is it that people do? What is it that you do that creates that that external response in you? As God begins to reveal that, what he's revealing is the box in your heart that you're creating. We know what those boxes are by the way we react to them. And so I want you to receive this new awareness from God as a gracious gift. And now I want you to ask yourself, what response would you like to cultivate instead? Bring this before your Lord and Savior who loves you so much that he died for you and rose again to give you new life. Say, God, I want you to make me into a new person. I want to be open to the work that you're doing and I want to follow you in the adventure that you're creating for me regardless of what happens. You can share this observation with a friend, ask them to pray for you. And as we sing together, Let's sing with our bodies as well as our hearts. Let's put our hearts and our bodies and our strength and our souls and our emotion into worshiping Jesus. And as we do, let's ask the Holy Spirit to begin to slowly change our categories and to bring that fresh water of the kingdom. As we do, I leave you with the promise of Jesus. Anyone who believes in Jesus Christ out of his innermost being, out of his gut, out of her gut, will flow rivers of living water. 